Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Happy Halloween. Uh, None of you dressed up. I see. None of you dressed up. I almost dressed up. I'm glad I didn't. I almost dressed up. Um, I was going to wear a suit and I was going to come dressed as a pastor. (laughs) Aha! Yeah, some of you. Where's Mart? There we go, buddy. That one's for you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, great to have you. Uh, What a great day. Again, welcome, uh, Joshua and Carol. Welcome back, choir. Uh, good to uh, good to be with you. My name is Austin Vondercheck, by the way. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here at Rosewood. We are finishing up our series, a, a kind of a short little series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, week one, we looked at Ephesians one. We looked at uh, the doctrine of election. And week two, we looked at Ephesians two, and we looked at kind of this this you know these flagship uh, verses of salvation by grace through faith. And today, today we're finishing up looking at spiritual transformation, the spiritual transformation that flows from a life with Christ. And when it comes to Christ, when we we come to Christ, we we come as we are, okay? Salvation by grace means, this is kind of the beautiful message of grace, it means that you are accepted before you act acceptable. The message of grace says that, that you don't have to pretend to play the part to get the part. You don't have to behave in order to, in order to belong. In Ephesians 2.10, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, Paul says that we are not saved by good works. He says we are saved for good works, good works that God has prepared in advance for each of us. But to live out these good works, the plans and the preparations that God has made for your life, each of you uniquely, in order to live uh, those things out, we can't stay as we are. Change is going to be necessary for every one of us as we develop a godly character. In fact, there's a, a pastor who I think, I think says it best and has been quoted many times, a pastor named John Burke. Here's how, he, here's how he puts it. He says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And, and, and this makes a lot of sense after all, because if our identity in Christ is the most important marker of our faith, of of your faith, something that you profess when you make your profession of faith and when you're baptized, if that truly is the most important thing in your life, then it only stands to reason that your life before Christ is going to look different than your life with Christ. Now, here's how Paul puts it in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I think um, 
Let's start with kind of a word of, of balanced caution here as we get into uh, spiritual transformation. A word of balanced caution, just so we don't undo every, all the work that we put in through Ephesians uh, 1 and 2, where, where Paul just so concisely and beautifully sums up salvation by grace uh, through faith. Because sometimes when we talk about spiritual transformation and the work and the effort that we put in in this, this process, the gospel of grace can get changed. And it's an ever so slight change, but it is actually a significant change, okay? When we think about this, where we don't want to go is, is where we start to believe that we are saved by grace, but we remain saved by works. We're saved by grace, but then we have to kind of keep this status by, uh, by what we do. Basically, what this says is that God freely chooses you by grace for required work, that, you, that is required of you in order to keep your status. Now, this is what we're going to call today. We're going to call this the D3 salvation model, okay? D3 salvation model, all right. So, so I ran cross-country and track at a D3 college, okay? D3 colleges like Calvin, Hope, places like that. And as many of you maybe know, if you've had kids who have gone to school or you've been at school, you know that you can't, uh, a, a student cannot receive financial aid uh, as connected to like their athletics or anything besides academic. You can only receive, uh, uh, you can only receive it for, for academics, all right? Now, if you also are involved in this process, you know there are workarounds, okay? So for instance, at the college I went to, which shall not be named because of what we're talking about here, uh, when you became a varsity athlete, coincidentally, you got money just because. No reason, just because. It's totally coincidental, of course, that, you know, every time, every student who became a varsity athlete suddenly got an extra few thousand dollars thrown at them each year for a scholarship. Again, it's just because. But then, if you got that money just because, and then you quit the team, or you weren't on varsity anymore, you lost your scholarship. Why? Just because. Just because. No coincidence. It's just a coincidence. Nothing, nothing directly related. Okay. Th- th- okay. You see what's going on here. But this is the idea of the, the, the D3 salvation is basically this contradictory uh, look at salvation by grace. Because if you lose it according to your performance and you don't keep it up, then was it ever grace to begin with? This D3 salvation, again, it's contradictory. But God has prepared opportunities for you to bring him glory through what you do and what you say and how you relate to others. And there is going to be a part of that, to live into that, to be the person that God has called you to be, to satisfy those plans. It's going to require some change. And that change, that spiritual transformation, that is going to look different for every person here. There, there's no such thing as like this one-size-fits-all pipeline or, or, or uh, journey. We're all on a different journey of spiritual transformation. It's going to look different. However, there are some basic principles that apply to all of us. And so today, we're going to look at four of those principles, all of which come from Paul, and, and, and also many of them connect with this, this text out of Ephesians. And so let's start at the beginning with motivation. All right, motivation. Our first motivation, our, our, the first motivation of our devotion to Christ should be 
Christ himself, right? God should be at the center of what we do. His glory his, it should be the motivation uh, for what we do. His glory, what he has done in your life, the salvation that you have received by grace should be the, 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 the thing that, that drives us to, to be here today, this Sunday, and to do everything that we do. However, while that may sound simple and common sense and a little bit duh, it's also not always as easy as we might think, okay? Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to convince you today that these things are true about you, but what I do want to do is just kind of look at some, some ways that, that we can actually approach our devotion to Christ in, in ways that are actually us-centered, me-centered, you-centered, and not Christ-centered, okay? Just something to kind of get the gears turning a little bit, because the thing is, religious activity that is Christ-centered and religious activity that is you-centered can look exactly the same. From the outside looking in, can look exactly the same. And so, for instance, okay, I'm just going to run through three of them really quick. Again, I'm not trying to convince you that this is you, but hey, maybe it is. And that's a good thing to hear it today. The first is that some, one of the motivations is so that we can feel good, right? We, we engage in, in, in religious uh, disciplines and exercises and things like that in order to feel good, to get the warm fuzzies. Now, don't get me wrong. Life with Christ is full of joy. I get joy from being here on Sunday with you all. Uh, we know that, that, that those who give are often receive more joy than those who, who receive. Like, it, the warm fuzzies are going to come. But here's my question for you. If those warm fuzzies aren't there, you're still going to do it. Is that your motivation or is that an outcome? Another me-centered way that we can approach our, our devotion to Christ is to receive good things from God. This is the prosperity mindset, believing that if we do this, you know, we go this far, God is going to return the favor plus more. He's almost like this uh, uh, investor God that we, that we, you know, we give our time, we give our money, we give our devotion, but somehow we expect, we demand that God will return the favor in some way. So why do we do it? In order to get good things from him. Now, here's another one, and it's very similar to the prosperity, but opposite in a way. You'll understand. It's, uh, it's to avoid bad things from happening. For some people, they do what they do to try to just get out of God's wrath. The, the image of God is not one of, of love, but it's this figure in the sky with a quiver full of lightning bolts getting ready to smite you for, for what you do. And here's the thing, when we, when we operate like that, when our, when our devotion comes from just trying to not get in trouble, again, who is that about? Is that about God? Or is that about us? It's about us. It's about us not getting in trouble. Us not uh, having a worse life or going through pain or, or whatever it might be. And, and, and so some of this, I, I speak from experience. I went through, a, a few years ago, I went through about a one-year chunk of time where I was obsessive about motivation. I thought about it constantly. And it actually got to the point, well, there was an idea I discovered during this obsessive time. It was something called psychological egoism, okay? Psychological egoism says that uh, everything we do, no matter what, everything we do is actually self-centered. And it's impossible 
to do anything outside of being self-centered. And I came to really kind of believe this. And as a result, uh, what I did was uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing. I didn't want to go to church. I, I had to because I worked in a church and I had to show up. But like, if I didn't work there, I probably wouldn't have gone. Because I was so, like, nothing. I didn't do anything because I was so afraid of being wrong of having the wrong motivation for anything I, I did. It drove me nuts. And if it drove me nuts, I just want to make sure it doesn't drive you nuts either. Because we need to look at our motivations. We need to question our motivations. We need to refine our motivations. But we also need to keep moving forward. Because in that time, for me, what kind of brought me out of that was realizing that the faithfulness of God could redeem my faithlessness. I'm sure, I'm 100% positive that I still do things that are actually me-centered. If I really dig down in there, it's me-centered, not God-centered. I'm positive of that. But I'm going to keep questioning, I'm going to keep being honest with myself, and I hope we all can continue to do that too. And while we do it, we keep moving forward. All right, speaking of keep moving forward, point two. All right, take responsibility, okay? Here's the second kind of, kind of basic uh, 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 universal principle for spiritual transformation is that you've got to take some responsibility in this process. Yes, the ability to live in a Christ-like way with Christ-centered motivations is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, but the responsibility for developing and displaying God's power is yours, in some circles of, of teaching, you might be told or, or might kind of come to believe that once you make a faith commitment, that, that it is God who will do everything. That what you just need to do is basically turn your mind off and be almost like a zombie and just kind of let God just do everything. And, and, and he will do everything. But Paul doesn't say, Paul does not say to turn your mind off. He says to turn our mind towards the attitude of Christ. In, in other letters, Paul writes about the pursuit of, a, of, of Christ-like life. He, he describes it with athletic imagery. Uh, for instance, in Philippians, he uses verbs like press on and strive for. In, in 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul says that we are to train ourselves to be godly. Now, this might in some ways sound like contradictory because it's like, wait, are we fully dependent on, on God or are we uh, fully responsible for ourselves? And the answer is both. And, and it's not me combining these. Again, we turn to Paul out of Philippians 2. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but also my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. The power of life with God and, and Christian formation, it is a gift of God, but you have to take that power and use it. And that's why Paul can say that it's both you and it's God that works. It's both and, not either or. Spiritual transformation through life with Christ, it's going to take God and it's going to take you. Now, here's the third basic principle. The third is that uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual transformation takes adding and subtracting. Now, Paul describes this in what we read from Ephesians 4 in kind of this dual action, okay? In, in verse 22, he says that we are to put off the old self 
And in verse 24, he says, put on the new self. It's two actions, something that we take off and something that we put on. Now, recently I had the, the pleasure to, uh, to officiate my cousin's wedding. And, and every time I officiate a wedding, I'm reminded of my own promises in, in my marriage that I made to Leah. And, and as I'm kind of, you know, every ceremony is unique and different. And so I'm, I'm working on this ceremony. And I, what's kind of going through my head is, is, is this point was, okay, what do we put on and what do we take off in order to live in harmony? Because every, every married couple, it, it, it's going to take some giving and subtracting, some, uh, some, some compromises. And this doesn't mean just getting rid of all the bad, terrible, awful, evil habits that you have. I mean, that's good. But, but maybe try to get rid of those before you get married as well. Uh, but, but also there's just some things sometimes that we need to put off and things that we need to put on that are just necessary for us to live in harmony and, and for peace to exist in our homes. Uh, for instance, okay, when we got married, um, Leah learned that uh, if she doesn't close the cabinet doors, I'll rip them off. Cabinet doors in the Vondracek home are a privilege. They're not a right, okay? When you're done, you close them. Amen? There we go. Now, I had some learning to do, too. I had to learn that uh, because I wasn't single anymore, that I could not expect a long-running, fruitful relationship if I closed out each day with two to three hours of playing video games in the basement. Turns out that doesn't make a good marriage either. And so that was something I had to put off the old self of playing video games constantly. But, 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 I also had to put on something else. Because when it came to my time, it, it wasn't just about not doing something. It was about doing something else in its place. Not about just getting rid of old habits, bad habits, as someone would say. Uh, <laughs> But putting, I hope she's not watching. Uh, but putting on good habits, okay? So not just playing fewer video games, okay? But also doing better things with my time. Spending time with her, investing in her, investing in our relationship, eventually investing in our kids. And all of those things would only be possible if I give up something. Taking off and putting on. Sometimes as Christians, we have the tendency to emphasize the putting off, all the do nots, all the things that we're not supposed to do as Christians. I think that's why sometimes from the outside looking in, non-believers, non-Christians look in and, and think that, that all they see is what we're against, when really we're also for so much, and, and that's part of putting on the new self, is being for the values and the characteristics of Christ. Uh, and, and, but being formed by Christ and living for his glory today, again, it's not just about rejecting things. It's also about putting new things on, and it's got to be a dual action. It's adding and subtracting, not adding or subtracting. In Matthew 9, uh, Jesus kind of, Jesus makes this point with three stories. He, he gives kind of three, or examples rather, three examples of things that don't mix. He says, uh, things that don't mix, weddings and funerals, don't mix. He says, putting a new patch on an old, like, pair of pants or a garment, it's going to rip, okay? So those don't mix. He says, putting a, a, a new wine in an old wine skin. If you do that, there's this chemical reaction and, and 
everything is, is ruined. The wineskin will burst. He says these things don't mix. The old life and the new life cannot coexist because they are contradictory. Spiritual growth requires us to put off old ways of being and put on new ways of being, new ways of loving God and, and loving those who are around us. Here's the last point, the last kind of basic principle for us today. Progressive growth. Spiritual transformation is progressive, which means that it can't be microwaved. It doesn't happen overnight and that it builds upon itself. So there's a certain level of patience, but also immediacy to it. Uh, God is doing a work in your life, but he doesn't do it all at once. It's progressive. Uh, Though we should, in theory, just immediately put off all the things that are not of God and, and put on everything that is, the reality is it just doesn't happen that way. It's not like a switch. We're not perfect, and and being like Christ takes time. You will find yourself taking steps forward one day, and then the next day you'll find yourself taking taking steps backwards in the application of your faith. Paul, again, can be turned to to understand this. In In Philippians, he says that he longs to know Christ and be like him, but then he adds, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on it's progressive. It's daily. In fact, earlier I mentioned uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Okay, now let's, let's look at that a little bit, uh, a little bit more here and, 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 and pull from a little more of that text. He says, uh, train yourself to be godly. For spirit, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Now, these words, train, training, that, that word in the Greek is not a theological term. It's not a religious term, at least not when he uses it. That is an athletic term. He's using athletics as a metaphor for spiritual growth. Train yourself to be godly. And, and here's the thing. Uh, physical training uh, doesn't, or, or rather physical strength, doesn't come about through one good workout, all right? You don't go to the gym. Well, maybe some of you have tried this, and you'll prove that it doesn't work. You go to the gym one time, you work out, you have a great workout, and you never go back. You stronger? No. Kind of tired. Not stronger. You go for one run. You gonna be a marathoner? You fast? No, you're not. Because it's just one, right? You, you know that with, with physical strength, it comes through a daily, a, a day-by-day consistent commitment. You will never get into shape if you run once a month. You'll never get into shape if you run once a week. And that's the same way it is with our spiritual growth. If you come to church once a month or once a week, and you rarely read your Bible. There's dust on it if you can find it. You, you, you aren't exercising the, the spiritual muscles of prayer. You don't have people that you're in a closer community with that you can encourage and can encourage you if you're not, if you're not engaged in some of these spiritual workouts. If you're not training yourself, you're not going to find yourself to be godly. In fact, I find, okay, so it I find this when I'm in kind of this dry spell where God just feels so, so distant from me. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't like this phrase, but like not feeling it. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of, it's like it's not there, okay? Now, what I, this is where I always start. The question I ask myself is, am I training myself to be godly? Because if I'm feeling spiritually out of shape, there's probably a good chance that I'm not training. And more often than not, 
when I start to experience kind of this spiritual uh, uh, laziness in a way, and, and those spiritual muscles are sore, sometimes I look at my life and I realize that even though I'm maybe up here preaching every week and I'm reading the Bible all the time in order to prepare to preach up here every week, I'm not really training myself to be godly. It takes it every day. Now, we're in training right now. You've come to, every time you come to the house of the Lord, you come to train. But I encourage you, keep it up. Look, it's not just about this Sunday, although this Sunday is good. Keep it up. When you read your Bible, even though you read, look, you, you open your Bible, you think, what's 10 minutes going to do? What, what's getting up a little bit early going to do to that? What, 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 is, what is praying before bed with my kids going to, what's that going to have anything to do? It's, it has, it's progressive. You invest in those things. Though they seem small, they grow. They mount up. Train yourself to be godly. Because as you do, you will find yourself transforming into the likeness of Christ, and the, Christ the, the God who has prepared good things for you. You are saved by grace, not by works. And God has good works prepared for you. So part of our spiritual transformation is not an obligation. It is an honor because of the God of the universe calls us in to his redemptive plans. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to train this opportunity to come before you and to come together as a church, as a, as a worshiping community, God, and to give you glory. And whether our motivation is self-centered or whether it is fully focused on you, God, we are just grateful to be in the house of the Lord today. We are grateful to be able to sing your praise, to hear your word, to be challenged, to be comforted. And so, God, I pray that for all of us, you would empower us by your spirit to take the responsibility that we need to in order to train ourselves to be godly. God, help us to stick with this day after day after day as you transform us by your Holy Spirit into your likeness, into being a fruitful ambassador of heaven here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.